Hey guys, what's up? This is another episode, another installment of the Cinema Hodgepodge. Me, Eric Holmes, and Bruce Perky. We have three things to give you on this installment. Obviously, it's going to be hard for you guys to go from point A to point A. I guess in this case, point Z. This is close to a two-hour hodgepodge, okay? Three things that we're going to offer, or that we're offering, is a slapface spoiler discussion with filmmaker Jeremiah Kipp. If you haven't seen Slapface, what's stopping you? It's very interesting. Look it up on Rotten Tomatoes for trading. I, I gave it four stars. Eric Holmes gave gave it four stars. Bruce Perky gives it three and a half stars. And it, it's a very interesting film. Horror thriller, coming of age. Also, it's psychological thriller. There's a lot of different layers to it. We've covered this movie a lot within our Find Your Film podcast as well. And so, yeah, Jeremiah Kipp, very interesting filmmaker. This is a very personal film. If you've actually listened to our previous interview with Jeremiah Kipp. So this, the first installment, the first section will basically just be for people who've actually seen the movie. So if you've seen the movie or are interested in seeing the movie, it is out on Shutter, on VOD, digital HD, and DVD. On my end, I highly recommend this film, especially if you love a, a sort of a subversion of the genre thriller in different ways. One of the character actors who's in this movie is Dan Hedaya. And he's really good in this movie as well. And it stars August Maturo as the lead Mike Manning. And it's a very interesting movie. Again, directed and penned by Jeremiah Kipp. He's a huge cinephile. So hopefully, I, I just want to get our cinematics and find your film universe members to actually take a gander on Slapface because the first install, the first segment will be a very, a treat for you guys because he really, Jeremiah gets into pretty much the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty of the ending of Slapface, along with various creative decisions that he he worked with. Okay, so I, I don't want to give too much away regarding that. So that's going to be the first segment. The second segment is me and Bruce. We talk about Prey. We just do a spoiler review of Prey. So that's going to be the I guess the sexy lead for this one because I'm sure a lot of you have seen this on Hulu. That second segment will be right up a lot of people's. Ali, we actually, we actually, um, also released a video version on the Deepest Dream YouTube channel. Okay. So that's the second one. Not much to say regarding prey. You know, prey spoilers. That's all you need to know. Third one is a really cool one because a cinematics Facebook group member, Kyle McFadden, he is, he's one of our awesome members. Please join our Facebook group. Facebook group, by the way, there's so many cinephiles. And if you want some really great daily movie recommendations and conversations, there's a lot of really cool cinephiles. In our group, one of them, one of them, of course, being Kyle McFadden, he is a director. And a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, he yeah, he sent me, Bruce and Eric, a a short film on Vimeo called Iris, a movie he co-directed with AJ Marson. And I, he, you know, I really, we were, all three of us were blown away by the film. I really loved the way it was shot, loved what it was, what it had to say. I loved the visual compositions of the movie, um, and I liked the lead actress, I believe. Yeah, I forgot what her name is, but some really good acting in the movie. I actually asked Kyle recently to uh, resend us three the the Irish short so we can watch it again. I just remember about a year and a half ago when we saw it, we were we were all crazy about the movie. Now the reason why we have Kyle on, Kyle McFadden's on. He was he was really appreciative of of Eric Holmes's Find Your Film game. The Find Your Film game is when basically when usually when uh, Eric Holmes and his brother Stephen they would. You know, they'd have a couple of drinks and then they'd go on IMDb and they'd talk about, I don't know, who knows, maybe someone like a, a Rennie Harlan. They'll look up Rennie Harlan on IMDb and 
Eric Holmes and Stephen Stephen Holmes's brother or someone else, a guest like this. In this case, Kyle McFadden. They'll they'll banter back and forth about what is. Rennie Harlan's best movie from his resume. And that's how the, you're going to realize on the third segment, that's how the find your film game goes. But this is not Rennie Harlan for this installment. This is actually the Coen brothers. So Kyle and Eric Holmes, they talk about, I'm not going to tell you which one, which one wins, but they go back and forth regarding Coen brothers movies. I believe they start off with the, the last film, the most recent film that they've done together. And they go all the way down to, the first film they actually, I'm assuming might be Blood Simple or, or whatever. So at the end of this game, there's going to be one agreed upon winner. So check out that Find Your Film game with Kyle McFadden. Also, Kyle talks about his shorts, Iris, again, the aforementioned Iris, and his new short that he co-directed with A.J. Martin called A Day to Love, which I recently saw as well, and I, I enjoyed it. What's really cool about Iris and A Day to Love is they're both different films, Iris is just right out on the field and you could really see the the sophistication in its filmmaking and the composition of the and the framing of the shots and the performances and to say atmosphere here it's really different this was shot during peak of covid the peak of covid right and it's just one location and it's a dude he's very distraught and he's talking to someone else on the phone. That's all I'm going to say about it, but it's a really locked off location where Iris was a little bit more free range within a certain scope. Okay. And it shows that both of these, both of these friends can really make a movie together. Hopefully these shorts will propel them to actually one day shoot a feature. And look, Kyle's been a friend of the group, so there may be some bias there, but thankfully so. Honestly, I really enjoyed both these films. We'd love to. And I think Bruce and Eric, is. we're going to talk about both Iris and A Day to Love as well on this week's episode of Find Your Film. But yeah, really accomplished stuff. I will put on the show notes where you can find Kyle and AJ via their Instagram. And if you want to actually see some of their shorts or question them about their filmmaking, etc., please hit them up because these are these are guys, if they get some momentum, I would really love to see. Kyle being a friend aside, I mean, I'm looking at this stuff as pure uh, as a pure narrative as something is it wasting my time or not and the answer is both these films i was highly impressed by and what's really interesting is though iris is more up my alley regarding the genre and the atmosphere and the pacing and all stuff this one a day to love is actually really interesting and rewatchable because of a lot of the work that was put into it which i don't want to get too much away it is a locked in claustrophobic location but What's great about it is what um, Kyle and AJ were able to do within that confined space. And I really appreciated, you know, I, I can't really say much about it, um, what else happens regarding that, that short, but really excited for both their careers and these shorts. So yeah, it's it's a really cool hodgepodge. Jeremiah Kipp is actually, actually, what's really interesting is that Eric and I and Bruce, we really appreciate him as a cinephile. And I'm really looking forward to, I'm hoping Slapface will propel even just a, just an entirely, you know, different chapter in Kip's career because I think Slapface, honestly, unbiasedly, is a very accomplished work. I, I'm giving it four stars right now. And I, but this is one of these movies. And I even told Kip this in the interview that I think upon a rewatch, I'm going to rate it even higher because of just of a lot of the stuff that lies underneath the story and, it is a tough watch in many cases, but I, I really love the way he plays with the genre and where it goes. The it, Slapface could have easily gone a really populist, popular kind of 
crowd pleasing around and it doesn't, which I really appreciate. So, but honest, would love to hear your honest opinion of Slapface. So listeners, check out Slapface, then check out the, check out our spoiler discussion in the first installment. And then of course we got me and Bruce and with Prey and then Kyle McFadden, and AJ Marson, the filmmakers of the now of the future track down. We're talking about find your film track down Iris and eventually a day to love will be, will be coming out down the bend as well. So Kyle McFadden and AJ Marson as well. Kyle is here with Eric Holmes to close out the hodgepod with a find your film game of the Coen brothers. So hit us up on info at findyourfilms.com. I am still, I'm in the, I'm mired with just so many interviews this week and movies to watch. We are doing a spotlight on Bobcat Goldthwait on a couple movies. I have to see a movie called Fall, which from the trailer looks really scary. Bruce and Eric have already seen it. Eric actually did me a solid because he's going to be doing the interview, I believe, with a filmmaker of Fall tomorrow because it's my niece's birthday. But uh, we have a lot of stuff to cover. Hopefully this hodgepodge, you'll get something out of it. And thank you guys so much for supporting us on Find Your Film. Again, hit us up, info at findyourfilms.com. And most importantly, just look up Jeremiah Kipp. Kyle McFadden, A.J. Marson, these are filmmakers. These are real, real-life filmmakers. And also tell us what you think about Prey. I'm out. So, Eric, what's your question? Um, I, You know what? I actually want to keep Jeremiah for the rest of the day so if we can have a 12-hour discussion on Samuel Fuller films. But he he's a busy man, so I'm going to let you go on that because thank you for the for the Samuel Fuller reference. He's one of my favorite I filmmakers. Samuel Fuller. That guy is amazing. Well, first of all, like, Watch his films, but also read his autobiography. Because, like, oh, Sam yeah. Fuller... It's one of my favorites. He tells a good story. But also, he's like, I don't want to brag, but if Sam Fuller was not there to throw that hand grenade, we'd all be wearing swastikas right now. You know, it's like... Uh, you know, he, he is the stuff of legend for sure. He, he is amazing. Uh, and his personal stamp reminds me of the kind of stuff that you want to do with your, with your films as well. The personal stamp of Slapface. But anyways, Eric, I'm going to yield the floor to you. I asked everyone about the, the spoiler stuff, but I'm going to yield this question to you. Regarding yes. Um, well, uh, so I wasn't sure if this was spoiler or not. So I just saved it for this. This is actually one of Bruce's questions. So I'll, I'll just, uh, he, he couldn't be here today, but he, he wrote a mm-hmm. couple questions out. I'll, I'll just read it. Um, sure. I felt throughout strong cropsy vibes, not in the actual story elements as much as just the vibe in gray, creeping, dead danger. I wonder if he was aware of cropsy and if it colored the tone or was in the back of his mind. Right. So I haven't seen cropsy, but I I want to, you know, it's one of those films that like, I I hear it's great. Uh, Actually like worked with, director many years ago like when i was uh you know like in, at the very beginning of my indie film career uh but uh i haven't seen cops yet but what i will say about that is we are drinking from the same pool uh we're both drawing from the idea of uh folk tales and legends you know you know i mean every town kind of has its weird thing like if you grow up in a remote small town like you're gonna hear stories about yeah, you know, weird stuff happens over at that house, you know, like that boarded up old house. Um, and, you know, in his own way, John Carpenter was drawing on those kinds of mythologies for Halloween. You know, strange things happened there and we got to discover them. You know, creepy pastas are doing that now. You know, I mean, I'm really attracted to like stuff like Slender Man and, you know, the, the stories that crop up on the Internet. Uh, but I, I didn't watch Cropsy. I didn't research Cropsy. Uh, but what I did do was take the idea of those small town legends and then made up my own story 
So the uh, so Wakefield House is something that I created loosely based on a house near where I grew up in Rhode Island called Crandall House, and uh, and the uh, and the Virago Witch was a unique creation unto herself. I didn't. It wasn't drawn from anywhere else. You know, it was like, all right, we know that the monster in our story is going to be. But the Frankenstein element that remained was that she is ten feet tall. But I always thought of, I, I watched a lot of horror movies as a child, and I never made any distinction between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Hansel and Gretel. I thought they both had fairy tale structure, you know, where like instead of the kids going into the gingerbread house, the kids were going into this strange place in Texas, and the gingerbread witch was replaced by Leatherface. So I said, all right, well, what if we took the Grimm's fairy tale witch and treated her with three dimensions, not as a cartoon? And, but as a dimensional character with her own wants and her own needs and how scary and bizarre and off-putting and weird would it be to take that classical witch face with a hook nose and put it on top of a 10 foot tall creature. Uh, so those were the ways that uh, the monster and slap face came about. Uh, so I can't say that Cropsey was a direct influence. All I can say is that I'm positive that the, the things that informed the creation of Cropsey were the same things that I was thinking about when we created the Virago Witch. Also, another thing I want to bring up, uh, that I, I kind of uh, danced around it when we were talking earlier, uh, was the uh, the game of Slapface, where at the end, all of a sudden, now the witch is playing Slapface with the older brother. So you yeah. had, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the older brother, like, no bones about it, he's being abusive to his younger brother. Uh, he, he clearly doesn't see it that way. Um, until probably at the end where the witch starts slapping him, just like knocking him over the table. And yeah. it's like, oh, see, like um, I was thinking of like, uh, you know, in my 20s, me and my friends would, you know, kick each other in the nuts or, you know, but we're, I, you know, I don't like getting kicked in the nuts, but I'm down to play. You know, I kick you in the nuts. You kick me in the nuts. haha, We're drunk and stupid. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, we're not doing it to uh, eight year olds. You're, we're Absolutely. not doing it to someone yeah. half our size. So no, the, I mean, the, objectively, like watching the movie, like I mean, Tom is justifying his behavior, but his behavior is like, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, it's sadistic, it's yeah. sadistic and masochistic and cruel and unfair. And 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 you know, like Tom thinks of it as being fair, but you're hitting you back just as hard. But if you watch a bigger person slapping a smaller person, you yeah. just see the inherent unfairness of it. Now the monster taking on the rules of slap face herself, you know, the, the, the abuse is learned behavior. Like Tom learns the game of slap face from his dad. So the monster is constantly copying human behavior that she's learning uh, throughout the film. Like there's a scene where uh, Anna, played by Vive Barrera, points a gun at the monster and the monster imitates cocking and pointing the gun using her hands. Uh, and constantly the monster is doing that during the movie. The monster is imitating behavior that she is learning. Uh, and and, and oh. um, that was really um, important to us since the actor Lucas Hassel who played the monster. It's like she's absorbing things that she's learning from the human beings. So the culmination of that is her playing slap face with Tom at the end and beating him to death, uh, which is, you know, a, you know, whether you read it as a metaphor for learned behavior or whether you whether it is learned behavior and the monster learned it from watching Tom, either way, Tom is getting bludgeoned to death at the end of this movie by his own design. That 
That is great. I, I did not even pick up on that until you just said it. And I'm like, a light went off. I'm like, holy shit. Um, wow. Hold on. I'm going to watch the movie again real quick. I'll come back to you. Jeremiah, th- <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, you, oh, one uh, more? Okay. Uh, well, I also wanted to, um, uh, Bruce kind of mentioned it. And I, I thought it was kind of odd, but I, um, the uh, you have a uh, in title card at the very end that uh, yeah. basically explicitly lays out what the uh, not just what the themes are, but um, almost uh, almost like a public service announcement, if you want, if you want to call it that. Um, where did uh, when did the decision of that um, come out? Because it, it's almost on the nose, but at the same time, bullying and abuse is important. And sometimes, sometimes you need a. Uh, th- this is a terrible metaphor, but you almost need to grab someone by the. You need to hug someone by the shoulders and say, "Abuse is wrong." I was going to say grab them by the collar, but that's that's exactly the wrong uh, metaphor for that. But yeah, what, 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 what was the what was the decision? Of the, you know, it's uh, um, like Mike Manning and several of the investors of the movie like cared about the the anti bullying uh, themes of the movie. Yeah, so so that was something that was profoundly important to them, and they did want to hit the nail on the head hard. Yeah. Uh, like the um, like the twins who were in the movie, those bully, the, the actors who played the bullies, Bianca and Chiara D'Ambrosio, who were great to work with. Um, they met Mike Manning through a program called I think it's called Boo for Bullying. You know, it's an anti-bullying platform. Uh, so they and others who put money into the movie were like, we really want to lean all the way into the anti-bullying sentiment and we want a card at the end that says that outright. Uh, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. You know, it's like, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm an artist and I want the, the art to speak for itself and I want the audience to take what they want from the movie. So it, it did feel like painting with a big brush to me a little bit, but at the same time, you know, like, uh, to combat bullying, you know, I think it's like you, you need to paint with a broad brush sometimes. So, you know, when it was, you know, when, when the, the idea came about to put this big card at the end of the movie that said, this is the stance of the filmmakers, I said, you know what? These producers and these investors have stood behind me every step of the way. I didn't have to cast any actor that I did not want. I did not have to make any changes in the movie that I did not want to make. You know, I, I was never forced to work with a crew person that I did not select. So if people like the movie or don't like the movie, it's based on all the things that were my choices that like that I, I can stand behind fully. And I am a work for hire director. So up until that point, I did not have that in any of my films. My first, second, third, fourth, and fifth feature, I didn't have Final Cut. I didn't have say in the casting. Sometimes I didn't have a say in the edit, you know, and the things to vary, you know, to varying degrees, I, I am happy or unhappy with those films. But like, you know, I look at them and, I, and none of them are mine. You know, none of them I can say that's Jeremiah Kipp's movie. You know, and Slapface is my sixth feature, and it's the first time that I can say, yeah, I made exactly the movie that I wanted to make. And Mike Manning facilitated that and made it possible for me to tell this story. And it was also became his story because he played Tom, and it became very personal to him. And so for the producers and the investors to say, we want to put this card up at the end that says, like, essentially a public service announcement, you know, I was like, you know, these guys literally gave me all the tools I needed to make my movie. And 
while I have mixed feelings about this public service announcement card, I was also like, you know what? I believe in it. I, 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 I can stand behind that too. You know, if that's the, if that is the compromise or that's the thing where it's like, you guys gave me everything. I'm going to give you this card that is important. You know, it was like, you know what? It's only fair. It's only fair. Like they gave me the movie. I can give them this card. You know, it's like, and, uh, and yet I have had to talk about it an awful lot, you know, because people say, like, you must have a deep investment in this thing. And I do. You know, I care deeply about it. The entire point of the film is to talk about abuse and all of its complexity. And the movie is called Slap Face. It's not, you know, it's, it's about as subtle as a slap in the face. You know, there might be a lot of nuance within the movie, but the themes, I think, are pretty broadly applied. You know, so this public service announcement thing at the end, it's like, yeah, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. But at the same time, you know, it, it meant a lot to the people who enabled me to make the film. So I stand by it. Thank you, Jeremiah, so much for your time. Uh, before, Oh, Eric, did you have some? Oh, I got you... so many questions. One, one last one, though. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the two girls, uh, the two bullies, yeah. um, where did that, that, uh, that come from? Because typically you don't have the... Uh, girls bullying a little boy in a movie it's usually the boys bullying a girl and you kind of you kind of uh gender swap that i suppose that but that that happens sometimes but i mean it, yeah, it was, I mean, was kind of a, happened in real life with my grandfather you know he was pursued by three female boys who beat okay. shit at him you know threw rocks at him you know and uh uh and that all, that was all just pulled from reality now, the thing that was great was that um, uh, the three actors who played those roles were wonderful. Mirabelle Lee, like we auditioned more actors than for, for that role than any other role for Mariah. And Mirabelle Lee was fantastic. You know, she came in and like uh, her whole thing is she wants to be good. You know, she wants to be a just be perceived as a good person and she wants to be taken seriously. And, and that informs the role. And like Mira like blew all this away in her audition and every day on set was so astonishing to work with. And Bianca and Chiara, the twins, uh, I nicknamed them Kurt Russell because they are Disney actors who wanted to go to the dark side. Uh, Kurt Russell did a lot of Disney movies as a young actor and he was so wanted so badly to be Snake Plissken and to be R.J. McCready and to be those kinds of parts. And Bianca and Chiara were like, yeah, we want to be the bad person. You know, we want to totally take that Disney image of us as these adorable twins and set fire to it and burn it to the ground. And like, and, uh, and in that racing, we're going to create these interesting characters. And it's so good because they are, they're, those actors are, are anti-bullying actors. Like, that's their whole thing. It's something they care about a lot because I think they've been bullied themselves. Um, so for them to play the thing that they are so forcefully against, I think was wonderful for them. I think they loved every minute of it. The kids on this movie were great. You know, they, it felt like working with adults. It felt like working with your peers. So I never talked down to those kids. It felt like felt like we were seeing eye to eye on making the movie. I love working with children. Uh, like they are so emotionally available and so invested and so interested and so able to do all these things. And we were very lucky. All of their parents were super cool people. When we were casting August Machero in the lead, like we knew he was a wonderful actor. Like we'd seen him on his TV show, we'd seen him do all these in all these films. He was our top choice to play Lucas, but we didn't know if he was going to be a jerk or not. You know, a little spoiled brat, Kim Radana. I mean, there are plenty of those in the world that are like really rotten kids who 
lord it over the production. They have a stage parent to make sure like sheer living hell every day. But for, fortunately for us, all of the children in this movie were remarkable people. All of their parents were great there for the movie, cared about us, and were really super smart and fun. And there every day, they were part of the crew, really, you know. So we really lucked out with talented, smart, creative children with parents who did not pressure them, you know. Like, that's so great. Like, watching the parents be like, you guys can do anything you want to do with your lives. And they're like, we want to act. So the parents were 100% supportive of what the kids wanted to do, uh, which meant the kids were free. They were free to act and be and behave and, and, um, and be wonderful. We had a great time with those guys. So, yeah, the, the movie is a very dark, bleak, weird film. And the making of it was really joyous because we all took care of each other. You know, we all supported one another. We were all kind to one another. And, uh, and the crew was a bunch of my friends, you know, a bunch of guys, that, a bunch of guys and gals that I've worked with for years and years and years. So, like, you know, people talk about the family environment, but Snapface didn't need to have that, which was very helpful because our movie is about disturbing subject matter. And I like making disturbing movies, but I don't like the set to feel disturbed. I like the set to feel safe and relaxed so we can go and make weird stuff and then come back and be normal. You know, whatever version of normal we are, we're a bunch of weirdo, eccentric film people. Like, it's like joining the circus. Uh, but that was the tone of Snapface. And I hope audiences received the movie in the spirit in which it was made. Thank yeah. you so much, General. Oh. You good? Oh, no, no. Okay, you no, good? No, no, that's good. I, yeah. yeah I'm America. I can do this all day. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> oh, before we go, a 30-second outro, and because I don't want to keep you any longer, Jeremiah, but sure. there's one more. I mean, you have Hellbender in the box. Just one extra one extra movie on the box for Samuel Fuller. I know that's a hard choice, but can you just put one Samuel Fuller in the box for Bruce Perky? Let's go with, um, let's go with the Steel Helmet, which is... Uh, it's a war movie. Uh, it's, and it's very short, too. Samuel Fuller's movies are not a big time commitment. You know, you're talking about, like, 80 minutes of your time. Um, and the thing that Samuel Fuller did in his work was you're going to get all of the entertaining stuff. Like, you're, you're going into a war movie or a thriller. You're going to get all the war and all the thrills. But then within that, the thing that made Samuel Fuller a great writer and a great director was within the parameters of genre – there was so much stuff happening that was so specific that he must have been pulling from his own wartime experiences because it's so peculiar and so uniquely singular. You know, you're like, wow, you know, it's like, what, what is it about this war movie that feels different from every other war movie that I've ever seen? And it's Samuel Fuller. It is imbued with his personality, which is so eclectic and strange and idiosyncratic. Um, so you're so come for the war and stay for the 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 real grounded human behavior that is in all of Samuel Fuller's work. Jeremiah, thank you so much. Eric, are you sure you're done? You're finished? With- no, no, but we <laughs> we can't have Jeremiah here for 24 hours. I know he said he's Captain America, but you, all right, you- well, see, you. hey, Jeremiah, it's just gonna be me and you now. <laughs> no, no. It, all, right, it, it, all right, so I'll make it easy for you. One more question, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, you know, I actually, oh, no, no, yeah, we're good, we're good. You're, we're I, good? I, I do want to say it, it was great having you on here. And, uh, obviously, uh, you got, uh, um, you know, your short coming out, and I'm sure you're going to keep making movies. Like, I looked at your IMDb, you're prolific as hell. I know, I know what the question is. Um, what's, what's something you've done? 
something that you're like really, really proud of. Obviously, uh, you're proud of Slapface, but something uh, that you've done in your past, whether it's a full length or maybe a short you've done that you're like, I wish more people. I'm, I really was firing on all cylinders on this and I wish more people would see that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, a short that I did years ago that I really, really loved making. And it was very interesting because it did the film festival thing for a couple of years. It was called the minions. And, uh, if people enjoyed slap face and want to see another one where it's like, is it real or is it not? You know, it's, uh, there's a, the main character of that film also played by Lucas Hassel, where you can see what his face actually looks like. Uh, he's not under layers and layers of monster makeup, but he is playing a monstrous character in the movie because he's a character walking around a very isolated part of New York who believes that witches are all around him everywhere and, uh, and he feels in terrible danger. And then he stumbles upon these two drunk women. One of them can't even stand up and the other is like, can you please help me carry my friend home? And that launches into the second half of the movie, which I won't uh, spoil here. But I'll say that The Minions is a movie that we put in front of audiences, and it was really interesting because half of the audience absolutely loved the film and was like, this is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen that allows me to think and shape what the reality of the movie is. Like, is this guy crazy or are there really witches out there? And ultimately, you know, what is the real danger that is happening in the movie that gets very upsetting? Uh, but the other half of the audience fucking hated the movie, like absolutely despised it because the movie plays tricks on the audience in a very in, in a harder edged way than even Slapface does. Because like the what like Minions builds to a point in that movie that builds to a love it or hate it moment, uh, and half the audience like understood what we were doing, and the other half absolutely fucking despised it. Uh, so I would encourage people to go check out the minions and decide for yourself whether you're in team awesome, where like if there are narrative gaps in the storytelling, it's like blackouts or scenes from some movies that I really love. Like remember in Blade Runner when uh, Tyrell gets killed and then Roy Batty moves in on J.F. Sebastian and you don't see it? Or remember in uh, The Thing where Noel's wonderful played by T.K. Carter wanders off into the room, you hear something, but you don't see what happened. I, I love both of those. I, Blade Runner and The Thing are two of my favorite films. And those moments in the movie like don't allow the viewer access to information. You're like, what happened there? It's so off, out of the corner of my eye. And we did a similar trick in The Minions that when people loved it, they were like, oh, it allows me to fill it in. And when they didn't love it, they're like, fuck you and fuck your movie. And uh, and fuck your your um, fuck your metaphor and fuck your ambiguity, you know. So, uh, but I love the minions with a full heart. I think Lucas Hassel is extraordinary in the movie. It's one of the many collaborations we had. I think her choice is to see the, men, the 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 great number of work we did, and then also watch him on the blacklist. He plays a bad guy who is uh, kills off one of the main characters in the blacklist. Uh, not James Spader, but someone who's very close to him. Lucas Hassel murders that person, and you can see what Lucas Hassel's face looks like. So watch the Minions, and then watch Blacklist, and then watch that face again. Or uh, <laughs> take the elevator down even deeper if you like. Jeremiah, how dare you spend so much time for, with us? Uh, that that just uh, speaks to your kindness. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I think it speaks to you guys. You know, it's like uh, you know, men, you know, they're, they're, I've, you know, I've done a lot of press for that face. You guys asked really, really great questions, and it was a joy. It was like. You know, all you really want is to have a conversation, and you guys gave me that gift, so thank you. 
Pleasure. Okay, I'll send you all the links and everything. So take care. Thanks, Greg. Okay, bye-bye. Hey everyone, we're back. I was going to say we're back with another week of Find Your Film, but it's not It's not Wednesday. We're not recording. Eric Holmes is not here. We do miss him. I'm here with my better Bruce Perky. He's called Prey Key, and let's get to the point. We are going to talk. I was going to say we were going to talk about just Prey spoilers, but Bruce, you wanted to do a mini review along with the spoilers. Do you think that's a better, well-rounded way of just talking about Prey in your, in your estimation? I think so, just because... If people didn't go back and and find it within the one episode where you just briefly talked about it, this could be a one-stop shop for people. So if they're just looking for Prey, hey, what do you guys think of Prey? And then I also want to see some spoilers on Prey. They've got it all right here. But if you want even more, you go to find your film and then you hear us really talk about other stuff too. (laughs) Other stuff too, yes. A lot of – we cover a lot of stuff on Find Your Film, findyourfilms.com. We were talking about Eric Holmes. I'm going to actually plug this. This is a hodgepodge. So we're – right now for this video, for this audio, we're talking about Prey. But also for you audio listeners for our podcast, we will also – I will also add to this – we call it the Find Your Film Hodgepod. And we're going to actually – me and Eric, we talked to director – writer Jeremiah Kipp for this movie called Slapface. The reason why I'm not making eye contact with you, Bruce Perky, is because I did today get my nice. DVD of Slapface. My DVD of Slapface, which by the way is also if you don't if you want to save your money and you don't have money to buy a DVD or maybe rent it on Amazon Prime or any of the digital outlets, hopefully you you have Shutter. Shutter being what, Bruce, your favorite streaming service? Yeah, and I'd say it's definitely the best value for streaming services if you like interesting and experimental and horror, then it's a great place. It is a great, great place. I was going to joke. I, you know, it's not a great place. No, 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 no more jokes. We, you know what? The, the, the big jokes is we had technical issues, a lot of it being in mind before we started recording. But let me just say one thing about Slapface. We both really enjoyed it. Special features for this DVD include a Slapface behind the scenes featurette, cast and director Q&A video, and a behind the scenes photo gallery. Worth watching regarding this movie, regarding Slapface, Bruce? Yeah, I would say so, for sure. Okay, cool. Now, let's get to Prey. Let's do a mini-review, and let's here, here's the thing. The origin story of the Predator in the world of the Comanche Nation 300 years ago, and it's the headliner is Amber Midthunder. She plays Naru. She is a skilled female warrior. She is skilled because we, as the viewers, know how good she is. She's with the dog. She has this kind of really shorthand on, on how to hunt animals and, and whatnot. She's very, very good, but the problem is members of her tribes, her colleagues, even her brother, they give her pretty much the short end of the stick. They don't, they realize she's a great tracker, but they don't know if she's really a great female fierce warrior. But the problem is there is a highly evolved predator that enters their land, thus putting their entire unit, or their entire family unit, their entire and community in danger. By the time when we actually recorded this over last week, Bruce, you had not seen Prey. Let's hear your overall thoughts on this movie. Did it live up to your ex- expectations? I would say it surpassed my expectations because my expectations were relatively low. I mean, hey, look, we're dropping a, a new Predator movie straight onto a streaming service. They've made now, I think, five other standalone Predator movies. I might be wrong, maybe four. I think it's five though. 
And of course, they've done a couple Alien versus Predator movies. And this is the point in a franchise where you're kind of getting that relatively <laughs> diminishing returns. You know, the best you can hope for is maybe a, a kind of a requel, reboot kind of a thing and having it be okay. But, and I saw the pictures of her. I even had, had commented on it. That I thought she looked like she was a, you know, influencer or something when I first saw the, the photos of um, our lead in this. And I was won over entirely by this movie. I think it does quite a few things really great. We're going to talk a little bit in spoilers about some of those details. But I would say in general, if you like the concept of Predator in general, like here you got this hunting alien coming to Earth looking for a good foe that is going to give them a challenge. And then you have this idea of you know going back in the past to what is this late 1700s uh, Comanche warriors, maybe some Western people in there too. We'll talk about that in spoilers. Yes. Um, and the idea that uh, basically it's there and what do you do with it? And how do you battle this? And how do you try to survive against such a fearsome warrior of an alien race. And that's kind of the basis of the original Predator. And they don't stray away from that formula, which is very smart because a lot of the other movies do. And that's what kind of makes them not so good. So I would say I even posted hot take. This might be, okay, I'm just whispering this in the corner. This might be the best Predator movie, but I'm not <laughs> saying Arnold isn't great. <laughs> Arnold is great. And the cheese factor in the 80s and the bro the brotastic nature of the original Predator really can't be beat. So I would say maybe for different flavors of Predator movies, this is great in the one category and that's great in the other category. And I think those might be my two favorite Predator movies. Do you, you were talking about the brotastic element of a lot of the franchise. Do you think the brotastic bros or the, just the people who are slavish to that franchise, understandably so, do you think there might be a little bit of a pushback, even though it's getting great ratings, get great audience ratings? Do you think they might say, oh, it's not the formula that we've come to expect? Well, I think they're going to go in with a very skeptical eye because I think this is going to look – so, so there's this whole <laughs> corner of the movie watching internet, right? That is all about like, you know, woke movies and, you know, uh, now the guys aren't the, the heroes anymore. It's all the women and blah, blah, blah. There's that, there's that whole aspect, right? And I think they're going to come into this with that baggage. I think that if they go in with at least a slightly open mind, they will be won over because the movie is just too technically good. It's just good. And I, I think of it more like aliens. I mean, this is like Ripley. You know, there's, there's a female protagonist that does an awesome job. Well, I think that, you know, this character of Naru is, is, is kind of getting right up there. Can we put to bed, Bruce, Amber Mid Thunder a little bit better than, or more evolved than an influ influencer or no, no not, no disrespect <laughs> yes, to influencers. I was definitely no disrespect wrong. To influencers. Okay. So <laughs> you think she's a capable lead? Are you excited? Cause after watching this, I was saying, okay, I just can't wait to see. I'm going to look up her IMDb right now. I'm going to watch some of her past films. I'm, I'm buying. Really, I'm, I'm buying at whatever price I can just to watch any kind of Amber Mid-Thunder movies with her as a lead or even her as part of the ensemble. I remember someone told me that she was great. I believe it was our buddy William Lindis said she was great as one of the cast members of that FX series Legion. I remember her a little bit. I have only seen several episodes. I need to go back and watch it now. But are you really buying high on Amber Mid-Thunder as far as movies go and as, as a lead? I am. I am. Because, I mean, she does that kind of combo that you have to do in this movie, which is she has to be not a total expert. She has to start out as kind of not a total expert and kind of do the role of, you know, like, uh, you know, that girl that's misunderstood, but plucky. And she wants to be, you know, recognized for being more than just that, and which is... You know, kind of a basic idea, right? But she sells that. And then when she has to be 
clever and figuring things out and tough and a good fighter. And you have to believe that she could actually possibly beat the Predator. That's a pretty big thing, right? And I think she pulls all that off. Okay. Wow. So what? So my rating, I think I initially rated it four stars, but as the week has gone on, this is, a, I mean, this is almost a five-star film for me. This is a four and a half star rating for me. Bruce wanted to hear your rating on Prey. I think I'm four and a half as well. And once again, this could grow. I think this is one of those, I'm probably going to rewatch it today with my kid because he hasn't seen it yet. So I may be rewatching it today. So I could see this going up, but I think four and a half, Easily. I think it's, it's four and a half. Four and a half is a good starter, right? That's a good yeah. starter rating. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, this is just, it's what you want from a Predator movie. And it, I think it gives you more. Okay, so. so what can you ask for? <laughs> you know, we, that's it. We reached out to our Find Your Film Cinematics Universe, some of our members, and we, a couple of our members actually responded regarding their own impression of Prey. Should we, have, should we warn? Are we going into spoilers at this point? Oh, you know what? We, we should probably go to in the sport. Yes, you know what? Before we would love to hear comment on the on the YouTube video or on our podcast or whatever. Just we would love to hear your rating on Prey. D- did this movie live up to your expectations? But I guess uh, maybe final thoughts before we get into spoilers, Bruce, regarding Prey. Any final thoughts? I would just say it's a no brainer. I mean, if if you have the streaming service, it's it's there. Um, I would just point out really quickly that there is a Comanche dub. If it bothers you that they speak mostly English and then they kind of drop into Comanche a little bit and you want to hear only Comanche, even though it won't match up to the lips exactly, you can d- get that version and get even a little more, quote, authenticity. I mean, it's a fun movie, so right, whatever. I'd say final thoughts are it, it's a no-brainer. If you are interested even a little bit in a Predator movie – why would you not watch this? Prey is streaming on Hulu along with other Predator installments. Is Bruce, is this a Hulu film or this is a movie that could have played in theaters? You know, it's in theaters. Would you have rather yep. have seen this? In, yeah. So this is not just a streaming service type of movie in your opinion. I, I'm sad I didn't see this in the theater. You know, other than a couple little CGI bits, which, I mean, that's the nature of the business right now, right? CGI. Sometimes you're going to get a piece of CGI. It's like, eh, okay, it's not the sp- most spectacular. But other than that... This is a big screen movie. You should be a scene on the big screen. Yes. My only regret is this is actually – no, this is this is sort of cool. I was able to get a screening link, okay, f- from the, pe- the wonderful folks over at Hulu. So I got the screening, screener link for it and uh, I apologize you didn't get it, Bruce. <laughs> We're trying to get you right in, in the middle. Yeah. But the thing is, look, I saw – I did not see the Com- Comanche dub – for this, for the purposes of the spoiler episode, we were, I was able to act, you know, I just went on Hulu and I actually checked out the last 35 minutes via the Comanche dub. And it's just a different experience, man. It's a totally different experience. I know some people consider subtitles reading. Okay. Like re- reading a movie, which I, I don't know. I, what, what percentage of people do you think are really annoyed by subtitles? You think as far as movie nation, cine, cinephile nation, do you think there's a lot of more people than we think who, who just really do not want to read a movie? Yeah, I think there oh, is, no. unfortunately. Oh, no. Oh, no. But <laughs> I just feel, to me, I would – look, I would say if you really do not like subtitles, go watch the, the non-Comanche dub first. Just to enjoy it. But uh, this has high rewatchability factor. I've only seen thir- – I saw the final 30 minutes of this film via the Comanche dub, and I think it was just a way better experience. I guess it's the whole adage of, of seeing people speak a language that feels organic to the story that is of their blood and bone, and I think that's just a way to go in my opinion. Okay, so all right. that That is it. We're going to get into spoiler territory now regarding Prey in three, two, one. Okay, before we get into spoiler, there's, I kind of, I kind of faked out our buddies William Lindis, 
William Linus from what podcast, Bruce Berkey? Uh, Movie Bears Podcast. William Linus is a close friend of ours. We love him. You know, we I, I really love his movie Insights. He's joined us with conversations, you, Bruce, and, and Eric, with conversations with the long walk filmmaker, Matty Doe. And, you know, he was recently on a spoilerific uh, podcast episode with you and Andrew Martin, Eric Holmes. What was the movie that you guys uh, spoiled and talked about recently? Uh, we did. Nope. Nope. So, yeah, nope. you guys can, can check that out on our podcast feed, find your film podcast feed, as well as this YouTube channel. But anyways, here here's what William Lindis from the Movie Bears podcast had to say. Quote, Prey really is a goods. It evokes the violence, the cunning, and the action beats of the original in a way that the other sequels really haven't. Wow, he echoes your sentiments, Bruce. That is... That is a tall order. That, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if I. Wow. Plus, between this Blood Quantum, Reservation Dogs, and more, we're experiencing a renaissance of indigenous representation in media. Something I will always champion. The final scene of this is spoiler territory, right? The final scene of Amber Mythunder carrying the predator's head while while uh, while decked out in day glow green blood was pitch <laughs> perfect. Bruce Perky, what do you think? Yes, day. Day glow green blood. I couldn't have. I couldn't have described it better. What did you think of the final moment with her just carrying that prayer yeah. head? I mean, it was what you needed in the movie, right? I mean, you knew it was going to happen. It wasn't like it was surprising you. And that's the kind of the thing I want to kind of mention about this movie. And I would like to hear what you think. It doesn't surprise you a great amount. Like you see her brother, who's like the warrior that everyone's like. You know, he's the guy, right? He's going to be the cool guy. And she kind of helps, but doesn't really help. She kind of fails. And then he comes back with the cougar, you know, head. And you're like, okay, well, if she doesn't come back with the predator head at the end of this movie, then I'm disappointed. So you knew that was probably going to happen, but it doesn't make it less satisfying to me. It made it just great. And what's cool is her brother eventually confesses to her that... Well, if it, if he didn't follow her tracking tactics or the way she, the, her hunting ways, he wouldn't have, he right. wouldn't have been as successful, right? So actually, yeah. Naru was the one who actually had all the smarts, really, as far as becoming like, I guess, the real human predator in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I also love the fact that, um, did you like the fact that Naru is considered, she is really doubted among her, her colleagues and especially most importantly, the predator? Because the predator has a way, uh, like a warrior's code, that they're not going to harm, harm, like just people who aren't dangerous to them. They're not going to harm, harm yeah. weak creatures. What did you think of that whole ethos or that whole kind of philosophy? Did you like the fact that it was uh, infused in this installment? I, I did. And I think that, I mean, so I'm not a predator expert. I know that people have read like all the comics and the various versions and probably novelizations. They know like all the, the, the mythos behind it. I don't. But I think the basic concept that he or it or whatever it is, I don't know, uh, that it doesn't want to attack something that's not a challenge, at least something that poses some sort of a threat, either an animal with claws or teeth or something pointing a weapon at it or a knife or whatever it is, it seems to have to have that happen. So there is that one key moment where I think if I remember correctly, she had ran from it after it basically decimated half of the members of her party and she's running across and she ends up getting into a a bear trap or wolf trap, whatever it was. And that, She's not armed and she's there and she's helpless and it comes to go and it's like, oh, it's not going to go after her because of that. Uh, but she uses that to her advantage. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. Here's what Ryan Smith had to say, our, our member of our Cinematics Facebook group. He said, it's a five, 4.5 for me. I loved it. The lead was fantastic and was totally believable as a badass. Think they did a little disservice, however, by continually having everyone doubt her abilities. That's interesting. I wish she was able to have a little bit more respect from everyone 
before all hell broke loose. I appreciated the decision not to have subtitles on the French trapper scenes. Did you appreciate that as well, Bruce, regarding the, the French trap? You mentioned that extra element in our mini review. What did you think of the French trapper sequence? Did that just kick the whole adventure level up a notch when the, the, that other element was added? It did. At first, I was a little hesitant when that happened. I was like, okay, now where are we going to go with this? But essentially, it just it just brought a whole bunch more bodies for him to destroy. Yes, right. Of course, so right? That was that was fine. Plus, it brought in that, you know, they kind of introduced early on that, you know, she and the Predator finds the decimation of the buffalo, which, of course, is historically, you know, a thing. And the fact that um, both of them looked at that almost a confused like the predator and she looked at that like, why would you do this? This makes no sense. Okay. So I thought that was pretty pretty great. And once again, I think in the Comanche version, which I also have not watched, and I might be watching it tonight with my kid if That's he decides awesome. he wants to see that version. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you will subtitle the indigenous people, but not subtitle the Western people that you can't understand. I think that's a very cool thing to do. Put you in the position of... Who are the people we really identifying with? Who are the people we want to understand? You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a thing there. That's a, and that's the kind of thing this movie has, I think, all the way throughout. It has little things in there you don't have to have. And that's where I think I would slightly disagree about her character. I like the fact that, I mean, I don't know Comanche culture. I'm guessing it wasn't the most um, non-sexist culture in the world. <laughs> you know right, what I'm sure, saying? Like, sure. I'm guessing that women were, you know, consistently like just, you know, hey, come on, you're probably a warrior too. You know, I think that probably was a hard thing for them to get respect yeah. for. And I think yeah. that later on, you have the moment where her brother recognizes her fully and they team up fully. And there's a point when it's like, Oh, you are actually the one that should be going forth at this point. So I think that that, uh, that's the moment where that works, I think. Um, and kind of lets her character fully bloom. And I liked the progression of her character. She was always competent, but she became fully badass by the end. And I think that's her arc, you know? And I, I like that arc. I think what's kind of cool, and I just realized this right now, when her brother is in the death throes, he, in a way, he's, He's got, he gets stabbed, I guess, through the, uh, through the back and a little bit through the chest yeah, yeah. by mm -hmm. the predator. And he's telling her to leave right now. He's seeing, when he's looking at her, he doesn't look at her with fear in his eyes. I think there's a part of him, part of his brain is realizing, like you said, yeah, she can do this. He's telling her to run, not just to survive, but ultimately he believes that she can actually take the predator on. And I think that's a, that, that's a really cool, subtle moment. Did you see that as well? As far as that, the way that was framed, I thought that was pretty cool. I think he has confidence. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I think that that at that point, because before that, they decided to kind of team up too. So I yeah. think that the having it having that whole progression where she's kind of split off with him, she rejoins with him in captivity. And then the two of them rejoin afterward after they escape to become warriors together against the predator. And I think that that I, I really, really, really like that. Um, the only other thing I would highlight really quick on her character in any good action movie, you have to have a badass like arming and weapon creating moment and she has several but you really got to call out the um the hatchet i don't know if tomahawk is officially a word or if that's something we don't use anymore i'll call <laughs> right. it a hatchet yeah um but a hatchet where she you not only see her making the, the the rope or the tether for it and then how she like practices with it to basically make a new weapon which i don't know if that ever existed but it was damn cool to see it you know, and just that kind of a thing where you kind of make this improvised weapon and you know that's going to pay off eventually. And just little moments, right, where she sees some of the Predator weapon get used and she's like, oh, that's interesting. How can I use that piece of the Predator's weapon? That was really cool. 
So. Right. Also, the fact that just near tragedy, that near death sequence in the quicksand, she realizes she can use the el- the uh, elements of nature in her favor regarding the final confrontation where he where the predator is right there in the quicksand and a little bit thrown off, and it gives her that extra time to actually, you know, put him in the exact position to die. So I thought that was pretty cool too. And I, I want to call out because I mean this we haven't mentioned at all that this is um, Dan Trachtenberg's what second feature after yeah. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Why yeah. is Dan Trachtenberg not making more movies? And I think after this, Dan Trachtenberg will be making more movies because it's pretty obvious that this guy can make some good, great movies. I wanted to point out us as a directing standpoint. There's some really great shots um, and really great choreography that could be confusing in a lot of hands. You know, you see these kind of action scenes and fighting scenes. I mean, we could pile on again, but pile on the gray man, <laughs> but I just got to say, <laughs> look at the fighting in this versus the fighting in gray man and how it's shot. And I would say right. that the hand to hand combat in this is more effective and more exciting to me, yeah. to my eyeballs. And then I also want to mention in a movie like this to have epic moments is also really great. So you have a moment right at the beginning where she's standing on the edge of a cliff with her dog, which we haven't mentioned the dog. The dog is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. She's standing on the edge of a cliff with a dog, beautiful, majestic, you know, nature shot. And then you just see the fire coming out of the clouds. And then the, the then the, the, the title prey drops down into the frame. I mean, come on. That's, that's badass. That's great. There's so many really good things about this movie. You know what, what's interesting though? This is going to be a standalone installment, but do you wish that they actually continued within this Comanche universe with her character? Or this is just, so that's my first question. Do you think this is enough or would you have liked to actually? Is it impossible? Because the, the character of Naru is just very interesting to me. I do and I don't. I think that I would love to see that, but the likelihood that it's going to turn out to be a great movie is pretty low. You know what I mean? It's like, a, we love Ripley, right? But it was really amazing. We got two good, great Ripley movies, but we didn't get very many others. And I would rather imagine that there's this great rest of her life and adventure that she has and just not see it and let this be its thing. And do I want... Now a predator in medieval times and a predator <laughs> in Roman times. Not really, but uh, give them a chance. I just, I think that sometimes lightning just hits at the right time and this is it. Well, we never thought that Nauru would, would die at the end of this movie. But what about an alternate ending where she dies? She she kills a predator, but she dies in the process that, and they bring her back home and then she gets a warrior's welcome but she has passed away. I mean, it could, it would be poetic and lyrical and existential in a certain way, but do you think that defeats the purpose of Prey or would that have been an alternately interesting kind of play on on the story? I think it would have been good, but watching her walk in with the head and throwing it down is too badass to not have happen. I mean, come on. Yeah, and I told William Linus that that head sequence when she's walking in with the, with the pain, the, the day glow blood and all that stuff, that they could have made it a lot more operatic and more bombastic and more just... Quick cutting a lot. We're talking about drone shots. They could have made it really, Dan Trachtenberg could have made it like amazing with all these firecra- firecrackers and everything like that. But they just kept it really low key. Did you like that? The fact that it was just not uh, I did. Boring. And yeah. and like the one thing I think about, I would have even liked to see more gore and blood with some of the uh, battles and stuff. But at, at the as I think of it, I also think like uh, he might be doing it better than I would have wanted it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think his choices might be better. I'll give it a pr- one little example. So there's an example when she is been added to the party of other guys, right? Not her brother, but the other guys that are kind of reluctantly following her, but not really trusting her. And in fact, they even tie her up, right? Yeah. Or they 
They do. And they do. They don't. And then they all get attacked and killed by the predator in various ways. And she's trying to, you know, do all this stuff. And there's a shot in there where it is pulling the head and the spine out of the one guy in the foreground while she is focused on kind of in the, in the near background. And they don't really show all the gore and blood of that, but you just, you know what's happening. And then you see the guy's head kind of being held up in the foreground, just kind of halfway off screen. And that subtlety, I think in the, in the long run is probably better than what I would want. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think it's really good. I think it's, it's, it's really good filmmaking. Okay. Final question before we get out of here with all the critical acclaim it's getting and the good, great word of mouth from the, from audience members and cinephiles, where do you see the franchise going? Do you think it's going to revert back to same old, same old, which to, to a lot of people would be great because this could be just kind of a really cool offshoot. Or do you think this offshoot leads into new directions? Where do you hope or where do you think it's going to go to? I don't know. I'm afraid it's going to lead to a bunch of more terrible movies, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> really? Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, I think this is this is the very, very rare example when they've made like six or seven of them. And then all of a sudden you get another one and it's really good. That doesn't happen very often. So, and I, I would hope. I mean, as much as I would like Trachtenberg to take another one and make it really another good one, I want him to do something else really well, you know, really good. I think he can. He's already done two things that are really kind of crowd-pleasing, but done them in kind of some unique and interesting and a little more artistic ways than you'd expect. And I would love to see him like just off-leash, fully off-leash with a decent budget. Don't go crazy. Just give him like, you know, 20 million. Give him 20 million and see what he does. Speaking of giving uh, people something... <laughs> Thank you to Ryan Smith and William Lindis for contributing to this spoiler episode. Bruce, I'm going to give you a shot here. I have a bunch of Blu-rays. I have the Rampage, which you can't see because of my my background, but Rampage <laughs> with Dwayne Johnson to Blu-ray, Suburbicon yeah. with Matt Damon. Oh, okay. no. Mayhem, which, by the way, I believe you reviewed and you – I don't know if you liked it. With Steven Yeun and Samara, Samara Weaving, so that's Mayhem. I think you saw mm-hmm. that a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. There's Game Night. There's mm-hmm. Crazy Rich Asians. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a crazy poor Asian. And then there's yep. hard, Hardcore Henry. So, again, the what which two movies do you think stand out? Hardcore Henry, Game Night, Crazy Rich Asians, Mayhem, Suburbicon, or Rampage? I'm well, give- for my money, it would be Mayhem and um, Hardcore okay. Henry. Mayhem and Hardcore Henry. I'm going to figure out which one to give that's to me. Lindis. What? Oh, that's, that's you. know that's, that's- I'm going to give you Rampage just because. Oh, okay. Well, I'm kind I'm just- of furry and blonde. I could be one of them. I think there's a giant one in there. Well, thank there. you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to us on Find Your Film. Also, check, check us out next week because Bruce will give his reaction regarding the Comanche dub of Prey. That'd be really interesting. And we'd love to hear what you, your son thinks about it as well. As per usual, anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, just check out. Uh, we have an episode coming up soon where we are going to do a little uh, director's spotlight on Bobcat Goldthwait. And if you need to do a little prep work, why don't you just go look up his version of YMCA as Bono on YouTube and just to just to get you in the mood. Oh, very, very cool. We'll, we'll see if I, I'm going to add that to the show notes. Maybe, maybe not. All right, guys, we will see you <laughs> next time. And tell us, most importantly, tell us what you think of Prey and all that stuff. All right, guys, see you, Bruce. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is a very quick add-on to the spoiler discussion on Prey that Greg and I had. And this is coming from the future because after Greg and I recorded that spoiler discussion, I rewatched Prey with my son and had a quick little realization about an Easter egg in there, which you guys might all enjoy if you didn't notice it. That is, towards the end of Prey, you see um, 
Naru get the pistol, like a flintlock pistol. And when she brings back the head of the predator she killed, she leaves that, you know, in the camp. And then she gives the pistol to apparently the the head of the their group, Comanche group. I don't know if the chief or what the exact title is, but, and he takes that flintlock pistol. They make a very big point of showing it uh, very prominently. It's been a long time since I've watched Predator 2. I did a little research on the meaning of the pistol and I discovered, oh, well, if if I were more of a Predator head, I would probably have noticed that that is the pistol that Danny Glover is given by the head of the Predator group in the end of Predator 2. Once again, this is going to be a mild spoiler for you if you haven't seen Predator 2, so double double beware. But if, once again, people who are into the lore will know a lot better than I do on this, but at the end of Predator 2, Danny Glover ends up inside of the Predator ship, has a fight to the death, and you know, after a lot of bloodletting from both sides, he prevails over the Predator and then appears through... I don't know, a transporter kind of a thing. Uh, a bunch of predators come. Uh, one of them seems to be like the head predator or the chief once again. And he, well, they all take away the body of the predator that Danny Glover killed. And as you know, that they don't necessarily just kill somebody. In that case, they kind of uh, seem to respect him for his prowess in, you know, in being a uh, combatant with their predator. So it seems like as kind of a trophy to him, they give him that gun. And it is the gun that we see in the end of Prey. And then if you add that on to the, it's not a post-credit sequence, but if you watch the credits of Prey, there are little cartoon or animated versions of all the events of the movie you just watched as they're showing you the credits. And at the very end of that, before it goes to black and it's just the remaining credits, they have a quick little drawing of three predator ships returning. And the indication of course, is they're returning to pick up the predator. They dropped off for a hunt and you could assume like, Oh, they're going to come and they're going to decimate that village. That wouldn't be in keeping with the style of the predators. And especially with the style that you see at the end of predator two. So the assumption is probably that those predator ships return to that camp They probably admire Naru for her prowess as a warrior, again, defeating their warrior. And I'm guessing that they, maybe they give some kind of a relic to the the, uh, Comanches there. Maybe the Comanches in return give that gun to them. That's me kind of guesstimating. But if you didn't get that, I think that might be kind of a fun little thing for you guys to think about and probably to enjoy if you didn't catch that. If you did catch it and know a lot more about it than I do, which is very likely, let us know. Let us know what the more true version of those events might be. Anyway, I hope that adds a little bit to your uh, spoiler discussion on Prey. This is Eric, and I'm here with, is it Cal McFadden or Fadden? Fadden. Fadden. That's kind of what I thought. But I, yeah. I've, I've seen your name written many times. I've yeah. never actually heard it said out loud. Yeah, I had a PE coach that always said McFadden in junior high. So I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to tell him. But it was only two years, got through it. And then high school, he becomes the high school coach. I'm like, oh, I should have said it when we were in junior high. <laughs> so I just endure another two years of it. Well, my my last name's Eric Holmier, but I just don't yeah, correct exactly. people. And yeah. Holmes, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
But anywho, um, so uh, well, shit. What do we start with? Yeah, it was short. That yeah. uh, that I just watched uh this weekend is quite great. Oh, thank but you. It's, but it's hard to talk about because no one can see. No one can, no see, one it can yet. see it yet. Um, I uh, I don't know if yeah. So it all it kind of all started with the first short, which we're going to release publicly pretty soon. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, you got, uh, Iris. You, yeah, Iris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You guys happen to like that one too, right? Like, uh, I uh, it's a bit of an understatement, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's where, like, I kind of sent that into you guys, just because you know I'm part of the the cinematics find your film community. So I just wanted to get everyone's opinion, and you guys seem to really like it. So I figured we'd send the new one in too, which we're just now. We just we just wrapped all uh, post production, so we're submitting to festivals now, going through that whole whole thing, and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gl- I'm really glad to hear you guys like it. I haven't heard. I, I I don't know. Did Bruce see it? Or um, I think Bruce saw it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if Greg did yet, but yeah. I, I'm I'm sure by the by the time uh, we record next, they will have seen it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I'm just happy to hear that you know at least you are are digging it. So yeah, that's great. If they don't like it, a little yeah, yeah, out. exactly, yeah. <laughs> I used to wrestle, so yeah, them on. Uh, but yeah, no, it was like it was just a film that was like, uh, you know, it was like a COVID thing. Like we we just had like a we we had all this downtime, and we were just really like looking to shoot something. And as you saw, it was like, you know, it's a very minimal crew, two people, one location. Uh, it, it, and it was kind of like the spark of the idea was like I wanted to write like a ghost story where no one like necessarily died. I think that kind of comes across. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's basically just about a, a guy uh dealing with a dealing with an ex uh through texts and phone calls and then eventually a lot more than that yeah and it, it's actually like that's just one location it's one room like it, it's yeah. basically all takes place well i guess not yeah, completely not completely it, it cuts away for like i think like two two short bits but i mean for the most part just it's just him sitting there in the kitchen yeah what's a what's a writing process like that because we talked a little bit um before recording this um just the difficulty of writing one location so and 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 still making it still making it interesting so that was a that was a very deliberate aspect of the writing process of it which was was not having like action or or all the stuff trying to make the most dramatic thing possible through just just dialogue and it and it, it, it the inspiration came for me of getting a text reply from someone you never would have expected to and just the spark of that drama to me was very interesting to explore and ha- and, and just constantly escalating like letting like playing in an area where you get a text and then you have a text conversation and then escalating it to a phone call and then escalating it to in person. And it, it's a thing where I think people can really relate to where you want to present you, you, you have in your head the way you want to present a conversation to go. And then when it actually happens, it's not that at all. Like people come at you a different way than you would have expected, especially people you have very, heavy feelings towards whether they're positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of related to that a lot. Just a, 
oh yeah, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm going to come mm-hmm. back with that and the other thing. But then the reality is that either um, you just lock up and don't say fucking shit, or you just don't get the opportunity to, you know, like that. All the all the stuff you play out in your head just is never the way it actually turns out. It's never the way it turns out. And the th- and what I find for me is it all boils into one thing that's said the wrong way and way too extreme, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> um. But yeah, no, that was one thing after you watched it, your one of your first replies was kind it was kind of the idea of it being like almost overwhelmingly too realistic for you, like yeah. which was so <laughs> perfect for me to hear. Like I was like, oh man, someone relates to my crazy mindset, you know. Yeah. And also like the and it's been a long time since I've seen Iris, but that mm-hmm. one was kind of uh from what I remember, that one was kind of uh personal too. Yes, like, so that, like it, like if it, it felt like, um, is that just is that just where you are as far as like what you like to write or? So that one I actually didn't write. That one um, was my co-director AJ. He wrote that one. We've right. been working on it together for years, um, and it, it was very personal to him. Um, but I think there was a little bit more. Uh, it wasn't as inside his mind as as this one. Um, yeah. It's for me that one's a little bit more like kind of overall life. For him not not um personal i we'd have to talk to him about it specifically uh to see what he was going through i was more just trying to you know help him get his thoughts out but that that one that one actually went on we were nominated in a festival for best writing like i thought he did a really good job with the with the writing of that one and and then through the editing we found a really and, and and in this film too you know we we allow a lot of room for silence and a lot of room for uh story to be told without verbalizing it um, yeah so well you know actually there was a uh with the with this one there was that one part I, I mentioned to you where in the script you had uh you had uh one of the characters saying a line mm-hmm. but in the uh actual short you took those lines out and it just it just worked so much better i was thinking uh someone was i think it was uh terrence malick or someone was talking about like his process where like he would, he would, uh, he would shoot the scene with the dialogue as it's written and they would shoot the same scene minus all the dialogue. And then just kind of, uh, and sometimes they would find like a more emotion in those, you know, so sometimes you don't have to say what's on the page because not saying something oftentimes will come out a lot more stronger. Yeah, I haven't heard that from Transnalic, but I'm definitely going to look that up now because that, that'll definitely help influence us a lot more. Um, that was actually AJ also. AJ was the one that like looked at that. First of all, thank you for reading the script as well, like showing an yeah. interest that much. Um, just so people know that it was it was you've you had both ends of it and saw the difference between the two. But um, AJ, my co-director and the DP and the editor and the, and the, he's he's amazing. Um, he. Uh, he basically just realized there's a character that her, her, the first lines are, are very wasted. It's almost like a joke in the script. Yeah. And, and it kind of takes away from the moment, which, you know, I'm kind of, I really like humor and I really like joking. And I thought it like helped to undercut the seriousness of the situation, but it really did undercut the seriousness of the situation. And he just like, if we cut this line, her first line is so powerful. And so the theme of the movie and it's, and it was just such an incredible decision to make that I, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, Oh, but my baby, I don't want to cut the joke. And then it's like, Oh wait, that's makes the movie so much stronger. And I also think like, um, just with the uh, reading scripts, cause like 
sometimes you kind of need that in the script just to kind of inform the scene. Mm-hmm. But then when you're when you're shooting, it's like, yeah, we don't need that. Like the, they can say everything with their eyes or their body language, and the the words are just redundant. Yeah, but you, I, I I wonder if you would maybe not know that until you start shooting. It's like, you know what? Let's let's take that back and just do that same thing, but just don't don't say the words because I don't think we need them. I think now moving on, it would be something that we'd notice during shooting. But for us, it wasn't even during shooting. During shooting, it was like, that's the script. That's what seems normal. That's what seems like what we're supposed to do, what we rehearsed, all this stuff. It wasn't until the edit where AJ was like, I, he might have even cut the line and been like, hey, did you notice or something like that? Like it, it was something like he was he was able to divorce himself from it and, and look at it a lot more objectively than I was. Someone who's been with it from the inception process, conception process of it. Um the yeah there was something else that you said that sparked something but i can't remember what it was now uh tree of life go yeah, watch exactly. tree of life yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh uh so what, what do you got in the what do you got in the future because uh they, you, as far as i'm concerned you're two for two yeah and, that's uh, great just giving me blue balls with these shorts <laughs> yeah 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 leaving you leaving a very esoteric yeah um we uh we are I, I don't know we're we're planning things we're hoping to shoot early next year another short we're still trying to even decide which short um we're leaning towards another thrillery type one like the first one or maybe a horror something that can be a little bit more um it, you know there's a lot more like horror specific um festivals that if if we do what we consider our quote-unquote high quality filmmaking we're hoping to like maybe make a little bit name a bigger name in these types of festivals that's just an approach we're going for we don't really we're, we're very we feel very confident in our artistic side we feel very poor in our business side you know so we're trying to figure that whole game out um uh but it, so basically i think it's short and then feature one more short and then yeah. we'll see what we can do with that and then we'll, we'll try and do a feature whether it's an ad- adaptation of something we've done already or an original concept we come up with together um it, it, that's definitely the angle we're going for yeah. well um i believe that james bond is in the public domain now the okay books great. are so yeah. just do that yeah good <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'll look into ian fleming and figure out what's, <laughs> what what most relates to us Fun, fun. So, um, I guess uh, me and my brother Steve did that final film game. I guess you've yeah, I been playing it. it. You've played it before with your friends. Yeah, I, I have a friend Kyle that I've played it with. He, another Kyle, um, and he, uh, he, uh, he really liked it. But um, he's not as much of a movie guy as I am. So it's, uh, it's mostly me dictating yeah. what what it is. You know. Well, I got I got my uh, I got my phone here, so we should probably pick someone. Um, yeah. did you have a? Specific- I was gonna say we just I mentioned Terrence Malick we should do that but he's got like five movies so that's yeah gonna, exactly <laughs> um that's not gonna work out too good yeah and I've only seen probably like a cup a handful of them probably the ones we've already mentioned you know um, yeah what um uh, what like what what have you done when you played the game like who have you done uh, we did actors like, it, 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 like I said, he's not as big of a movie guy. So it was actors like Denzel or, or yeah. Ryan, Ryan uh, Reynolds or something like that. Yeah. Um, Denzel it, would be good. <laughs> <laughs> we could do whatever you want. Anyone you want. I, um, I'm a bi- I don't know. I'm a big, big fan of the Coen brothers. I don't know if you have you've done oh, them. Actually. Yeah. That's a really good one. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll have to pick one of the two of them. 
which one of them has the official directing thing, so we should probably go with him, but I'm not sure which one it was. I'll just do Joel Cohen. See you. Okay. See you. Yeah, because I think they, yeah, he's the one that did the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, so he's got to be the one. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. That, that's producer. Do, have you producer? seen the new IMDb? Oh, no. Like, he, he directed it. Okay. Have you been seeing this new IMDb layout they're doing? I, I can't stand it. Like where it's like the advanced preview of like how it's gonna be. Uh no, it just it, it just looks like oh shit, you can't see it. It, it just yeah. looks regular, looks like it always did. Yeah. yeah, at least on desktop, they they're like oh, opt into our new future, what it's gonna look like, and it's like all like messed stupid. Up. <laughs> yeah, you have to like filter in and out the what you want instead of just having like director bubble. It's like you have to filter in everything they've directed, everything they've. Anyway, this is a tangent i'm going on but it's it's not as uh it's not my it's not my bag well this is weird so joel cohen that like the uh did the tragedy of beth by himself mm-hmm. i guess ethan cohen is doing a jerry lee lewis documentary by himself as well oh interesting and he's directing it or is he producing it uh ethan cohen's directing it wow um and yeah that that's weird. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll go back to Joel Cohen. Maybe that's like what split them up. One one just can't stand. Uh, the- <laughs> he, he didn't want to tell him, "Fuck no, I don't want to do a Shakespeare thing." Do it. Yeah, and the other guy's like, "I don't want to see a twelve-year-old cousin fucker." Sorry. <laughs> no, he is a cousin fucker. Yeah. We we uh went to uh, Memphis. And uh, like my parents and my brothers and my sister all went to Memphis one year mm-hmm. and uh, we stayed at Heartbreak Hotel because, of course, we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we went through uh, like to Graceland and went some uh, bus tour thing. And they were talking about like a, a blah, 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 Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis. And we're like, what What was that about? Oh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> I uh, don't know what talking. Uh, and so, anyway, this is Elvis's plane that he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho, so yeah, we'll we'll just uh, I guess we'll just do the Joel Cohen, um, okay. or Eric Cohen brothers. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think everyone knows what time it is as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, my guess would be Big Lebowski, like as far as what I think is going to win, but I I could, I could be swayed to other ones as well. I don't disagree is that your actual favorite yeah like off the top of your head yeah, yeah. i'm a pretty big inside lewin davis guy but i don't so so that's the thing with this game do you play favorite or do you play best or is there a difference in your mind uh, there's, i mean i i have impeccable taste so my yeah favorite okay is okay best. you're right you're right i forgot <laughs> about that uh no I, um usually just uh it, it's weird because normally we do actors Mm-hmm. So we do like uh like their best performance, but if their performance was good in each of them, then the better movie would edge it out. Okay, okay, okay. Or or like this movie's better, but they're in it for like three seconds. So this is you know, but that's not the case with this. Um, yeah. So I don't know really. Okay, let's just figure it out as we go then. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, but I I don't disagree with the Big Lebowski pick. It's just way too impactful. Yeah. Half my shirts are Big Lebowski shirts, so <laughs> my look is based off of it. Yeah, you so. got my Market Zero shirt over there somewhere. Yeah. So uh, we got a Tragedy of Macbeth is, by default, the greatest Coen Brothers movie ever made. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about it? Any Actually, the, <laughs> I'm I'm not uh, 
I'm not a hundred percent opposed to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not a I'm not a Shakespeare guy by any means, but I actually really like that one. I I love the aesthetic of it. I thought it was incredibly beautiful um, and incredibly interesting. And however, it was hard in the theater only getting thirty percent of the dialogue. Like it just it's very oh. like it just was very hard for me to like follow the dialogue. Very easy to follow the story. Ironically, like I've never seen a movie where I couldn't follow the dialogue, but the story was easy to follow. Yeah, could be because Shakespeare wrote it, but yeah. But I mean, you know, fuck that guy. Yeah, what a hack. <laughs> uh, so we got Tragedy of Macbeth and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mm-hmm. So for me with Ballad of Buster Scruggs is I think there are shorts in there that are better than Tragedy. I think there are shorts in there that are way worse. So I kind of would like to hear where you stand with it. I am actually forgot about Buster Scruggs. So that, that was mm-hmm. my dark horse. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah. lean towards Buster Scruggs, but I am easily swayed on this one. I th- I think I do too. Okay. Yeah. So we got Buster Scruggs or Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm a Hail Caesar apologist, but I I still think I lean towards Buster Scruggs. Yeah, same here. Yeah, that Hail Caesar is kind of like a it, it's one of those that well I, th- I think just Coen Brothers in general they're they're those kind of. Uh, if you go watch their movie and you hate it, mm-hmm. just just wait a bit. Go watch yep. it again. Yep. <laughs> yep. The, uh, it's, like, it's like, oh, shit, I hate this one. That means I'm going to love the shit out of this once I watch it five more times. I think the problem with Hail Caesar 2 is that mm-hmm. unless you're coming right out of a film history class, it's not going to land for you uh, on on the jokes aren't going to land for you yeah. necessarily. But yeah, I'm I'm still going Buster Scruggs on this one. Me too. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis. So I have to give it to this one because it's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. But I'm I'm also willing to hear you out if if Buster Scruggs is it for you. Um, it it it, because I know the problem with Inside Lewin Davis is some people it's their least favorite of theirs. So that I can't deny that as well. Well, it certainly was the least favorite of mine. And then uh, my friend just did a Coen Brothers Fest like a month or two ago. Yeah. And one of the ones they played was Inside Louis Davis. And just like we said, if you hate it the first time, just watch it again. And uh, it, it's certainly, I still like Buster Scruggs better, but it's growing on me. And if you want to mm-hmm. go with that one, I'm fine with it. Man, let's go. Let's go with Inside Louis Davis because it's one complete thing. And I think there's lower lows in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Yeah, unless you want to fight me on it. No. Not, okay. Not really. Okay. Uh, next up we have is True Grit. And I love the shit out of this one. So I'm going to see where you're at. Okay, so for True Grit, I really like it. I have a friend who made I have a friend who was not a film person who called it true shit. And every time we talk about it, just to just to make me mad. That was his whole goal. He didn't even care about the movie. He may have never even seen the movie, but he's like, oh, you still you still watching true shit? I'm like, you I don't take it as a given yeah. that you do hate the movie. <laughs> um, oh, man, this is hard. Um, so True Grit's up there for you, like way up there. Oh, yeah. OK. But I mean, uh, also, uh, I see another one coming that might knock that one off even. OK, so but, if that's the case, because I think I know where you're going let's stick with inside loon davis unless you want to fight me for it we can i i just want to give true grit it's it's proper due but we can stick okay. with inside loon davis 
it's hard. It's hard with Inside Lewin Davis being my my favorite because I don't want to diminish True Grit. It's so good, just like all their films. Yeah. This is the hard part with picking the Coen Brothers. Is it, it is kind of like on any given day, it could be a different one. Um, but but it'll be Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I kind of have in mind. If if we didn't prompt it, I might have given it up for True Grit. But I think I'm going to stick with Inside Lewin Davis. Do we do a tiebreaker thing at all? Is there anything to no? Figure it out? No, okay. I'm 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 good. Like if we're that if we're that uh, stuck on it, we just flip mm-hmm. a coin. Okay. Um. Next one is a serious man. Now I've never went back to this one, and I mm-hmm. did not like it at all the first time I saw it, which probably means I should watch it again. I highly recommend watching it again. I think it's a. I think it's one that none of the pieces add up on the first viewing, and then just having it in your memory bank, like just slightly, and watching it again, everything adds up and connects at the end. The first. The first like Dybbuk scene to the ending tornado scene, like it all just is like a perfect like puzzle that fits together. Um, it's still in inside Lou and Davis by a mile for me on this one, yeah. but I do love a serious man a lot. And I think it's very underrated. And I think uh, there are certain people that this is their favorite movie of the Coen brothers. So yeah. I just, I, I've heard that a lot too. Yeah. And th- this is just one, like, like I said, I, I haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. enough times um I, I just watched it the once i'm like i don't get it and then never went back to it but i probably should because i mean history has shown mm-hmm. <laughs> when i do that it ends up paying dividends yep uh, okay next we have inside lewin davis versus burn after reading okay how are you on this one i love the shit out of this movie i do too a lot um burn after reading is uh i feel like the it, the 2006 to 2008 is where i started seeing movies that were like or maybe 2005 to 2009 but is like where i started finally seeing movies where i had that that moment of like oh people make movies just specifically for me and don't care about anyone else you know and burn yeah. after reading was one of those where it's like oh someone cares about my exact sense of humor and nothing else like the george clooney like when he just when he starts having the panic and starts looking at everyone and starts running around like I think it's one and then Brad I mean I guess it's do we care about spoilers on this or? I don't think so okay when Brad Pitt gets shot in the face I think that's maybe the hardest I've laughed in a theater like ever Dude, like his, his stupid face yeah you just nailed it his stupid face when they just he thinks he's about to explain this away and then there's a gun in his face. I think my favorite part about this movie is that it's about nothing mm-hmm. and, and that, and that's the joke. And I think that's probably what a lot of people hated about this, Yep. but um, well, I, it's so I, I just like, the, I just like the, wait, so he's the, like, they think that they're uncovering this huge plot or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when they find out what it is, they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what are we doing here? Fuck it. Yeah. The, um, it's to the point where even the theme is said out loud at the end with J.K. Simming, Simmons, where he he's saying, "So what did we learn today? We, oh, nothing. We learned nothing." <laughs> like, yeah. um, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm kind of metagaming a little bit because I know the next one is for me is going to take it off. So does burn after does burn after reading? Does that? I mean, that one just destroys inside Dylan Davis for you, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Do you want to do a coin toss on this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Grab because something. Just oh, here we a go. Little... Okay, yeah. I got my uh, scariest sixty-first Blu-ray. We'll flip okay. this. <laughs> oh, we we didn't call it heads. We or didn't tails. call it heads or tails. Yeah, you, you can call it. You. Call All right. It. So uh, uh, heads burn after reading. Right. Uh, tails the 
Hold on, let me take this fucking background off. Virtual background. Turn the fuck off. There we go. Cool. Okay. So heads, heads, we got the uh, uh, Lewin Davis. Tails, we got Burn After Reading. Oh, we got Tails. Oh, yeah. So the Burn After Reading? Oh, that was Burn After Reading, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I gotta remind remember shit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just say it out loud. I did the same thing. I just celebrated my loss. <laughs> oh well that that's fine. The Lou and Davis sure did go far though. Mm-hmm. So now we got Burn After Reading or No Country for Old Men. So No Country would have beat inside Lou and Davis for me. Um, yeah. if we were still on if we were still on it. Um do you have a how do you feel about No Country? I, I'm fine with that one winning. I I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. That one was uh, one of my first. My mom took me to see it. I, I I was either in high school or just graduated high school, and my mom was like, "Oh, there's this movie that's making waves. Like, let's go see it." And I'm like, "Okay, I've never heard of it." And then it's like a transformative experience where it was like I had already kind of heard of the Coen Brothers, but this made me just do. This is the movie that made me like watch their entire filmography up to this point. You no, know, I'm I'm good with that. Then great. So no Country for Old Men. Yeah. Um. We're not going to count this since it's just a segment, but uh, maybe we should start flipping this. From yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good, good point. It's actually it's actually probably the best one in there. It's with Steve Buscemi, right? Uh, Paris Jatame. That's yeah. uh, it's uh, a bunch of uh, shorts. Yeah, yeah, but their their short is the uh, isn't it Steve Buscemi in a subway? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember really liking it. I don't remember what it is at all, but I remember liking yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to count that just because it's just a a segment of a uh, anthology. Mm-hmm. But I did want to point it out. Yeah. Uh, and next up, uh, this ain't going to win, but I do like mm-hmm. this one, The Lady Killers. So I've never seen the original. Have you seen the original at all? Uh-uh. Yeah, I wonder. I, I know a lot of people didn't like it because they just love the original so much. It's. I think it's. I don't think it's super popular though. I think it. I, it was a British film. I think, and it, I think it was a. Uh, uh, I think it was like respected, but I don't think it was necessarily popular. Yeah. But yeah, it's just no country by a mile for me. Oh, uh, we got intolerable cruelty. Yeah, that was another one that I liked that everyone hates. Um, but yeah, they were trying to do like a '40s comedy, right? Like a like Hepburn type of type of deal with it. I um, like. I I saw it like basically when it came out on DVD, mm-hmm. and I like it, it was weird because I didn't even registered as a coen brothers movie when i was watching it i was like oh this is a, a decent george clooney movie if and i'm correct i think it's one of the few they didn't write it's like one of the like three movies they didn't write themselves yeah they don't have writing credit on it perhaps but that that would certainly explain a lot yeah so i'm robert I'm ramsey no matthew stone john romano yeah oh you got the dvd right there no oh no they did they did write it but oh, they, they have okay. uh they have uh Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone and John Romano also had a hand in it. So maybe they got okay. a script and added something yeah. to it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have screenplay credits, not story. But yeah, that, that would certainly explain it. But yeah, not winning, but you yeah. Know. Uh, the man who wasn't there. I really like the man who wasn't there a lot. Um, not, not as much as no country, but. I'm right there with you. But yeah. th- this is also one I think more people I, I uh, kind of overlook. It seems 
Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And it's set one town away from my hometown. So that was always a, that was always a cool thing. Well, the next we got is, Oh brother, where art thou? This was the first Coen brothers movie I saw. The um, first one. Yeah. We watched it in, I watched it in a, high, a class in high school because it was loosely based off the Odyssey and we were reading the Odyssey. So, yeah, this was the first one that I uh, hated and had to get turned to like, cause like my, uh, my friends love this movie and mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And then they kept forcing me to watch it. And then eventually I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I get it. So <laughs> like, when you I, say, when you say didn't get it, was it basically the humor didn't connect for you or was it kind of just, just the, the whole movie thing? in general? I, yeah. I just didn't connect with the movie at all. Yeah. And then, I, and then I think, uh, you know, just, uh, watching it a couple of times, kind of get into the feel of the characters and the, the kind of the, uh, groove of it, I suppose. It's definitely has its own groove for sure. Like you have to get on its wavelength for me. The first time I saw it, the the music obviously stands out and the humor rose to doubt. And then when I watch it subsequent times, it's even a deeper appreciation of the storytelling of the of the um writing, all, all that of the performances even. So uh where are we with Oh Brother Where Out Thou versus uh um poop, No Country for Old Men? Uh I think I gotta go No Country for Old Men. I think No Country for Old Men, to give a little bit of a spoiler alert is the second place for me like i think that's the one that like w- would run this until we get to our very next pick um yeah i, I think so too <laughs> yeah uh, so uh to no one's surprise uh the big lebowski mm-hmm. this one this one's top notch for me so was this one ha- I'll, I'll tell you my experience of it because it fits exactly into your paradigm where it was so built up for me. I watched it at a friend's house and I was like, yeah, fine, just fine. And yeah. then found myself quoting it for weeks at a time and then watched it again. And then, like I said, now like half my shirts are big Lebowski shirts. Like I, it, it's, it's almost to a point where it's like, it's like it, it's a, it's a barometer of like, if someone doesn't get it, and if they've only seen it once, it's like, okay, fine, just watch it again. But if they don't get it after multiple viewings, it's kind of like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, like, how do you not get this? Like, well, so, um, oh, shoot. And yeah, there we go. Damn it. Phones. They're yeah. fun. <laughs> yep. um, but uh, so I remember when it came out in theaters. <clears throat> and again, like, I wasn't really uh, in tune to who the Coen brothers were. I'd seen a bunch of their movies up to this point, but like, you know, I I just didn't pay enough attention at that point to really uh, have that part stick out. Yeah. But I was like, Oh, the big Lebowski looked like some, like a, you know, crime movie, like another, uh, you know, those Tarantino esque kind mm-hmm. of uh, crime movies that came out in the mid to late nineties. And I thought it was just going to be another one of those. And yep. at, at that point, I've seen a bunch of those and was growing kind of tired of them. Yep. And I just thought it was another one. And then one of my friends went and saw, saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, don't watch The Big Lebowski. That movie sucks. So my bar was way low when I went yeah. into it. And then so when I did watch it, I go, oh, this is pretty good. Was it theater? You saw it in theaters? No. when okay. I So when I saw it, because like I said, I wasn't, when it came out, I wasn't interested. And then my friend said it sucked and I just yeah. avoided it. And I think it wasn't until, I think it wasn't until it came out on DVD. And then I just saw it for some reason and then was like, oh no, this is pretty good. And then, yeah. uh, 
And yeah, I just kept watching it. And every, every time I watch it, I just love it even more and more every time. Thinking back, I remember a big problem for me, which is funny because now it seems like two of your favorites, it, it is this, is by the end when it is nothing, when nothing was the point of the film, Yeah, I, w- I think that's what, what I couldn't get over. Everyone talked about how good it was. And the whole time, my first viewing, I was so focused on the plot and trying to figure out what's going to happen with this crime caper. And then the fact that it ends up being just a whole lot of nothing yeah, was such a downside, which is actually my favorite part of the whole film now in on viewings you know well see that i I always look at movies like this kind of like uh days and confused mm-hmm. i don't give a shit about the plot on days and confused i'm sure there is one but i'm just there to hang out with the characters the same deal with big lebowski i I don't care about the plot so the thing it, with it's kind of silly i just, I just want to hang out with the dude and walter and tell yeah. donnie to shut the fuck up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i think tarantino calls days and confused um the the uh the greatest hangout film like that in uh rio bravo or or something there's there's another movie he also those are the two he always calls and i totally I mean, agree i don't think it'd be rio bravo because rio bravo that's kind of what uh sold on precinct 13 was based on okay um i guess they do hang out a bit though but um hold on one second i'll just i wonder if it's uh uh, if he, I can't find it. If he did say Rio Bravo, that'd be a very strange he always, definition he'll, of a hangout movie. Yeah, he always lists two together, and it's always real. Or it's always a. Uh, I'm probably mixing it up with something out else, but um. So the uh, oh, it is Rio Bravo. He does say oh, I haven't okay. seen Rio Bravo, so I can't speak to it. Um, yeah. But anyway, the whole point I'm trying to make is, um, Daisy Confused is one of my favorite movies. I saw it very young and like literally one of my favorite movies and it's a total hangout movie but the difference for me between big lebowski and days and confused is days and confused is a hangout movie through and through big lebowski is trying to trick you and the reveal is that it's a hangout movie and yeah. i think that's why it's so incredibly rewatchable is because you watch it the first time at least for me and my perspective you watch it the first time and you're like what the f is going on throughout this entire film and then you get to the end and it's it, and it's nothing. And it's like, you just get to live with these characters now for the rest of your life. Like, as as Anderson says, like, they're your buddies now. Like, this film is yeah. your buddy and these characters are your buddies, you know? So. Yeah, th- this one's going to be tough to beat. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it, well. I'm yeah. voting for it for beating, obviously, for beating uh, No Country. Yeah, same here. Only well. because, <laughs> only because No Country is not perfect to me. It's very close to perfect. Whereas the Big Lebowski, it's hard, hard to argue it's not perfect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I just like watching it. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shoot. We should have done John Goodman. That would have been tough. Because, uh, like, okay. his character yeah. in this, his character in Flight, mm-hmm. his character in 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. King well, Ralph. Even if, yeah, even if we just did Coen <laughs> Brothers' performances, too, like, the, his character in Inside Lewin Davis is, like, one of my all-time favorites. The heroine uh junkie yeah uh, yeah a uh, jazz player i think he was um so okay. we got big lebowski next up is fargo uh so i think i i in unless you're really uh really wanting some something else to uh win i guess we'll just talk about the movies yep yeah, how great they are! Yeah. Just knowing full well, Big Lebowski's gonna beat it, unless well, unless something comes up that you're like, "Oh fuck, I forgot about that one." Then, 
Yeah, and in fact, there is something coming up I forgot about. Nothing's going to be Big Lebowski, though. We we can almost declare it now. But um, Fargo, I do want to give its due because I think for a lot of people, this would beat it. I think if it wasn't me and you, there there would be a coin toss happening right now, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe on a certain day, maybe Fargo could beat it because it's mm-hmm. just that kind of, that just that charming of a movie. Mm-hmm. And at certain points in my life, the first time I watched Fargo, I was like, this is incredible. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. If, if we were in between my first and second watch of Big Lebowski, Fargo would have been crushing Big Lebowski. Yeah. Know? So uh, this one, I, I also watched. Um, uh, they also played this at the, uh, the Coen Brothers Fest, the last one. Mm-hmm. And I like this one. I like this one a lot and loved it even more. The second, the, the last time watching it was a Hudsucker proxy. Yeah, I've only seen it the once. And it's, so uh, I think I have the same thing that you talk about where it's like, oh, good. But yeah, it's also hard a PG Coen Brothers film. It just does not add up in my head, <laughs> you know, like. Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, it's for kids. It's for kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know? yeah, again, uh, Lebowski's still winning. But Hudsucker Proxy, I think you should watch it again. And I think mm-hmm. anyone that like if you haven't seen it, obviously watch it. But. This is this has a certain kind of uh, humor to it that um well no I, that that that's not right because I, I, th- I think a lot of people listening to this would probably know by now what the Cohen brothers humor is like but this mm-hmm. has a kind of that it has a bunch of undercover funny funny lines in it undercover that, like, funny just, lines they just go right by me the first time and then I I catch it the the second third fourth time. I think it's a. Um, I think it's more in line with the um, Hail Caesars and the Intolerable Cruelties, where it's kind of th- they're like doing throwback humor, like to the forties. And I, I think it takes place. Is does it take place in the forties? Um. Yeah. For. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, like forties or fifties, somewhere. Yeah. It's a. Hey, that dame! I got a yeah. nice hula hoop for you. See. Yep. But yeah, it's good stuff. Um. Oddly enough, it reminds me a lot of the the Tim Burton Batman movie. It's got that kind oh, of aesthetic to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> of the big sets and everything, mm-hmm. like a gothic feel to it, kind of. Yeah, yeah like like expressionist feel rather. Um, next up, we have is Barton Fink. So I absolutely love this movie. This, for a yes. while, when I was in film school, this is what I said to be interesting was my favorite uh, film. You know, like I didn't want to pick like the. The typical stuff so i was like barton fink is my favorite film so uh i definitely have a very big soft spot in my heart for it but i'm still going big lebowski um but man same, i love this movie same same yeah barton fink's good stuff uh miller's crossing miller's we- crossing is incredible very 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 good but not but not big lebowski good to me but just like the poster i'm looking at now that scene where uh uh john turturro is begging for his life in the forest is incredible and then later when you just realize it was just him he's just such a weasel in the movie and it's so great so great yeah for the longest time i always had miller's crossing and barton fink kind of the the two movies would just be like the same movie in my head i couldn't i couldn't pick if you told me that scene i'd be like oh yeah from barton feet no that was miller's crossing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) well what about with the 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 places burning yeah that's miller's crossing right no that's barton Barton the detectives that are that are wisecracking it's like oh no barton fink not miller's crossing yeah but i so i've seen barton fink recently i've not seen miller's crossing recently but i need to check that one out again 
I feel like, you know, just through listening to hours of you speaking, I feel like Miller's Crossing would definitely hit with you if you watched yeah. it again. I think it definitely is on your wavelength. Yeah, I, I I think it I think it would too. I mean, I I remember liking it. It's just been mm-hmm. that that's one that um it was that one in uh, a serious man. Like mm-hmm. I only saw a serious man the one time. So yeah, and then uh, uh, having, but having but seen... with serious man, I didn't like it. With Miller's Crossing, I did. I just never went back to watch it again for yeah. whatever reason. Having seen Barton Feek recently, um, did it hit you differently? Like for me, it hits differently now that I'm actually like a lot more you know, I'm actually making films now and stuff. So yeah. it, it definitely is like, Oh wow. This hits on a whole new level now, especially that I'm a little bit older and stuff. Like did, did you find that or was it still just a yeah. experience for you? Um, not like, uh, about, about as much as any other, mm-hmm. uh, air quote older movie would. Yeah. Um, just cause you, you know, you'll watch that like, uh, we're coming up on it. Well, I'll, I'll just get right there. Yep. Raising Arizona. We'll watch this movie a butt ton as a kid mm-hmm. and then I'll watch it now and I get, uh, you know, I pick up different stuff that I didn't when I saw it as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. you just get older and that's just how, how they work. Um, with, uh, with Barton Fink, it was, it was when, when I got older, it was the whole hell of the creative process theme that like just really hit me right in the heart, you know? Yeah. Um, but Raising Arizona, I think, was one of the first DVDs I ever bought. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I think ours would. Uh, I think it was my uh, brother Jason got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Austin Powers and Summer of Sam? I think Summer, the Spike Lee film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, the John Leguizamo film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I the first movie, the first DVD I ever bought was. Uh, minority report because it just happened to be part of the, like right next to the playstation 2 i was buying so I'm yeah. like, okay I'll, I'll get this too so i can watch something on it um but i think it was raising arizona by the minute, and i hadn't seen it yet i just had a family friend recommended it i'm like oh i should get this too like um and i loved it like yeah. a lot um, i remember putting in the the uh austin powers and just the idea of like skipping chapters or like special mm-hmm. features mm-hmm. i'm like what is this new fangled yeah, This whole new magical <laughs> device. Um, okay, well, uh, I mean, just to restate it, Big Lebowski, I think, wins. But yeah. um, I, I'm, Raising Arizona might be another one that that a, a, gen, uh, a, a certain Coen Brothers fans would put as number one, right? I think so. Yeah. And in fact, um, if Big Lebowski, or, you know, maybe if I hadn't seen Big Lebowski as many times as I had, mm-hmm. Raising Arizona would probably be the number one right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but wow. And then Blood Simple. Yep. Again, like I'm going through this. So you could argue intolerable cruelty. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Lady Killers, but I know a lot of people don't like that. And. I don't like Serious Man, but a lot of people do, so I'm not going to count that. They, uh, you have to give it one more feeling. You can't like you, you have to follow your own. No, role. but that, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm okay, the, yeah. I only saw it the once, and I'm in the way minority on that. I think. Yeah. But uh, they they got a pretty fucking solid <laughs> filmography there, dude. I'm telling you, the Coen Brothers. I, I have this weird thing with them where, you know, Inside Lewin Davis might be one of my might be my favorite film or at least one of my favorite films, but it's weird how what I love about the Coen brothers is they will never give you less than an A. They don't necessarily ever give you a plus they do, but like, it's not, it's not nearly as consistent, but they never give you 
less than an A minus, you know, yeah. at least in my opinion. A lot of people will completely disagree. A lot of people like really don't like Inside Lewin Davis and really don't like Gail Caesar, but I think those are masterpieces also, you know, yeah. like, um, and then I, even Blood Simple, which has major flaws for a directorial debut, is still incredible. Like, so, so good. We could all oh, see they got Soundings, Lumberjacks at play, and Zemers and Zambezi. Yeah, those are the all three shorts. shorts they did. Yeah, I've never, I didn't even know they did shorts. So I, I, I haven't seen any of those. But yeah. a while ago, we did, uh, we did one of uh, Tarantino's My Best Friend's Birthday and Paul Thomas Anderson Cigarettes and Coffee. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty, pretty uh, telling. Like you could see, um, I think Cigarettes and the Coffee is probably the better of the two. Yeah, well, um, my best but it, it'd be neat to. I'm gonna have to go back and see if I can find those shorts and watch those and see if uh, you see early Coen Brothers kind of butting out. And we yeah. and there's so many different types. Like the you know they either go towards uh, uh, not so much drama, but they go through like plot heavy or they'll go through mm-hmm. uh, comedy heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'd be neat to see what those shorts kind of showcase. Did um I didn't know uh my best friend's birthday is available anywhere it's on uh you can find it on youtube it's not it's not the whole there's parts of it missing Mm -hmm. um so i don't i don't think there's a complete version of the of the uh movie Uh but it it it's uh yeah you can find it on youtube and it's really rough too i mean yeah it, it totally makes sense why he doesn't consider that one of his you know officially one of his movies yeah yeah the the other thing we should call out too, even though it's almost like a bad thing to call out, is they also write films. Like they wrote like the oh, Sam yeah. Raimi Crime Wave and and that terrible movie Gambit, and they wrote Bridge of Spies though, like pretty big movies. Like that that terrible George Clooney Matt Damon Matt Damon uh, Suburbicon they wrote. Um, yeah, Suburbicon. Oh, they, oh, I didn't know they wrote Unbroken too. The the um. I can never pronounce his name, but that that Olympian who uh, got captured by the Japanese in World War II. A woman, a gun, and in a noodle shop. Yeah, so that's I oh, think that, that's based on Blood Simple. Yeah, I think it was a direct remake. Crime Wave. Did you ever see Crime Wave? I never saw Crime Wave. No, I haven't. I I hear that it has its fan base. Like I, I I normally normally you hear it's not good, but I but there seems to be like a rising Crime Wave cult coming up. You know, was there one that uh, the Coen Brothers directed that Sam Raimi wrote? That's it. Oh, oh no! I think it's not. Yeah, the, that that the one's Coen Brothers wrote yeah. it. Sam Raimi directed it. Like, did they flip that around at all? I don't think so. But I, I know that. Um, I mean, we just went through their whole thing, and I, I don't yeah. recall a Sam Raimi movie popping up. Yeah, I know that. Didn't they edit a bunch of Sam Raimi, or did Sam Raimi edit for them? I know there was an editing exchange that happened as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Editor, and oh shit. No, <laughs> I think they. I well, and I think the thing is, if I remember correctly, it could be totally wrong. I think they edited it under pseudonyms. Uh, I I mean that could be it. Okay, Jesus rolls. Have you seen that? I have not seen Jesus rolls. I feel like we should just because 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Big Lebowski was our mm-hmm. favorite uh, mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movie. It only makes sense, but yeah, at the I same just don't want to be one of those people that's like, it ruins my childhood. You know, like yeah, maybe we do watch it. That'll take Lebowski down a couple notches, and then we can yeah. go back and do this again. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. we'll get the Lebowski. I'm like, I mean, it's good, ain't all mm-hmm. that. <laughs> it's a little tarnished now, but uh... <laughs> oh goodness, yeah, I, to turn out, yeah, yeah, Bobby Cannavale. Audrey Tattoo, Susan Sarandon. I believe that, if I remember correctly... J.B. Smoove and Christopher (laughs) Walken. Damn. Blake Nelson. Damn. John Hamm. Yeah, Christopher Walken. Yeah. This thing is... Cast is stacked. Yeah. Directed by John Turturro. I wonder why he did that. Like, Well, so so what I heard is that the character of Jesus was actually created by John Turturro in a play before the big Lebowski and they wanted to use it. And so that's why it's in here. And he's always had these different stories for that character. So that I I believe that's what it is. Um, Well, if that's the case, they got the, uh, they got the writing credits wrong. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause uh, Coen brothers have a writing credit that based on characters by. Yeah. I believe that has to do with like WGA stuff over like plays, like, like self-produced plays, but I, yeah. No, because I don't think that would work because just because it wasn't a mo- movie before, you know, just because mm-hmm. no one knew about the play doesn't mean that someone didn't already write that before. Yeah. Um. And yeah, John Turturro. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but the, yeah, they got a uncredited character based on the characters by. Mm-hmm. But that that's weird. I wonder if maybe they did the maybe the the thing you were talking about. Maybe that came after. The oh, big maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe you're right. But anyway, that is the greatest Coen Brothers movie ever. of all time. <laughs> Jesus Rolls <laughs> is the greatest Coen Brothers movie. Do you think it's possible for them to? Well, I guess I don't know if they're going to be making but more movies. But if they both do keep making movies, do you think it could be ahead of them still? Their greatest film? I I don't see why not. Yeah, you know it's kind of kind of like uh brought him up before Tarantino. He always seems to just. Mm-hmm. keep going in different lanes you mm-hmm. know so it, it's it's entirely possible it's um, funny with tarantino i always go oh that's a bottom half tarantino or that's a top and then i realize like i can't I, that changes every day depending on how i feel like <laughs> yeah. i can't i can't i can't uh definitively say that but uh like uh i remember for the longest time like uh you know david fincher is like oh he's never gonna beat seven he's never gonna be fight mm-hmm. club and then mm-hmm. zodiac comes out and it's like son of a bitch yep yep <laughs> Well, even if you look at someone like George Miller, it's like, oh man, he, you know, Road Warrior, that's like one of the greatest movies ever made. And then he makes Fury Road and you're like, this guy's so old and so incredible. And it it just doesn't even compute, you know? Is there anything else you want to bring up or? uh... No. When when can we expect the Iris? Uh, I don't know. I was going to talk about, I was going to talk with my co-director about it. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but maybe we, uh, maybe we do like a mini interview or something about Iris right before we release it. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.